Totally Football Show. Nation Divided Special. As attempted headlock sees one in the eye for Southgate's plans for Montenegro, we ask on whose shoulders should the blame lie and on whose shoulders was Raheem standing? Also today, crunch time in the qualifiers, Wenger at FIFA forgotten transfers and quiz questions, all in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. It's international week and you turned up anyway. As a reward, have yourselves a bit over Lindsay Hooper of the Offside Rule. Hello. Hi, Lindsay. <laughs> Daniel Story out of Football 365 and other places too. Good morning. Good morning to you, Daniel. Also here, the man from Opta, Duncan Alexander. Hi, James. Who's fresh from the week's second biggest footballing dust-up. Am I right? Correct, yeah. This was the Opta quiz. Yes. The keenly contested, but of no consequence to anyone outside the industry, Classico, as it's known. It's true, yeah. Um, How many teams, Duncan? There were 35 teams. Wow. And these are all, what, broadcasting entities? Broadcast, media, uh, brands, federations. How how do you gain entry to this competition? Secret handshakes and... Right. I mean, you have to be an Opta client, Yeah, essentially. Yeah, except, well, the independent came and and they're not... Are they not? Technically, but there was someone pulled out and they really wanted to come, so... Right. And then they were late and made everyone late, so... <laughs> so basically, you guys ask Opta standard, I mean, precision tool questions. Well, it's more sort of it's classic trivia, really. But football. But football, football, yeah. And who won? Well, it's traditionally a bit of a battle between the BT stats team and right. the Sky Sports stats team. You know, the guys that do all the research for commentators, unsurprisingly, they know quite a lot about, about football. So they both did pretty well this time, but there was a new winner. Um, and it was everyone's plucky underdogs, the Athletic. With our friends... Who was in their team? Well, they had Adam Hurry. Oh, yeah. Um, they had... AKA football cliches. Yes. They had James Moore, Jack Pitbrook. Okay. And they had their captain and leader and possibly legend, Michael Cox. Michael Ooh. Cox! Mm. Who was uh, probably the most happy I've ever seen, I think. We are never going to hear the end of this. Um, Listen, I, I, I'm dying to ask on your behalf where your team totally family finished in the... I think it was around 11th. So it was pretty... You know, respectable. That's not too bad. Respectable. So above mid-table, kind yeah. of in a... Yeah, yeah, well well in the top echelons. Yeah. Okay. Did we beat, you know, them? They didn't go. Did they not? No. So yes, we did. That, yeah. counts. <laughs> that counts. That's good. Oh, well, that, that sounds terrific. Uh, what kind of questions do you get asked at the Opta Quiz? Well, Duncan, you're going to be giving us a little bit of a taster, aren't you, today? Mm-hmm. Uh, just give us one now, just to whet our appetites. Okay, well, let's do the first question from the actual night, as if you were there. Um, okay. Name the two players to win the Premier League Golden Boot who wore the squad number 11. So that's the problem, because you asked that one on Twitter. So that's the only one I've seen. Okay. I to Joe asked that on Twitter. I'm- all right, yeah. but that's, I mean, there it is. Oh, yeah, if no. you haven't seen that on Twitter, listener, that's the question. We'll get the answer later on. We will. Two players, Golden Boots, Premier League, squad number 11. Nice. Okay. Hey, let's talk about Thursday night's England-Montenegro. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Getting you in the mood for Thursday night's clash at Wembley, that is Saka Pulimenta with Jezin Jakissa. And I think we know what they're listening to on their Christmas adverts in uh, Montenegro. Curiously, Saka Pulimenta is also number two in them. That's number one. And he's also got number two with uh, Sabasami. Wow. I prefer that one, actually. It's more of an underground hit. Mm. <laughs> 
So anyway, Montenegro turning up Thursday night, and you guys are on your way there almost as we speak. What are you expecting, Daniel? Uh, I expect a reasonably comfortable win. England actually only need a draw to qualify, but mm. I suspect they will win reasonably comfortably, 2 or 3 nil. I agree, actually. I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. Mm. Um, and that is why Gareth Southgate could afford to drop Raheem Sterling right. for this one. I mean, that is the answer to the question that you were looking for, right? I'm not sure. <laughs> but certainly, the Raheem Sterling was a story that every, everybody jumped on, you know, because, A, it's fascinating. It has that kind of playground thrill of classmates shouting, fight, fight, and you're finding a couple of school colleagues bashing each other or more likely shoving or grabbing in a headlock as apparently Raheem attempted to do but the other key thing here is that the game takes place only a couple of hours after this podcast drops so it's hard to discuss that but we very much can discuss the dynamics of the Gomez Sterling set to so you were actually there Lindsay on Wednesday <laughs> I wasn't at the set to <laughs> Um, just what was the fallout? What was the aftermath? Was tension still running I, high? I was at the press conference yeah. ahead of the match. And what I found quite amusing was I, I overheard some conversations where I think members of the FA and different people were like, well, you know, that story's been dealt with. Uh, we've already said that we've moved on. Obviously, there's not going to be that many questions about it. And of course, it completely dominated the whole proceedings. I have to also pay credit to one of my colleagues, Natalie Perks from the BBC, mm. who I thought got the best questions in there. I was waiting for someone to ask about, you know, in terms of Gareth Southgate, did he feel that Sterling had got the hump with him? And he, he actually for dropping him for the Yeah, and he actually again. directly answered that and said, Look, you know, I, I don't think he's too enthusiastic about me at the moment, but I took no enjoyment about doing it and that's what I have to do in this job is make decisions that are tough and stand by them. But he talked about how he'd lost love with managers and invited Natalie to then ask about whether there was any love left between them and I'm sure I'm sure it will come back round again interesting having Harry Maguire up there who mm. was media trained within an inch of his life um, and just said you know we're focusing on the match um, which was his go-to as part of these answers but he did reveal that they've been back in the squad they've had laughs and jokes and that it's all behind them and that they have moved on. I feel a little bit for Southgate, and he was kind of in a, in a no-win situation. That if he does nothing about it, people would accuse him of being kind of weak-willed and just trying to brush everything under the carpet. If he does something about it, then everyone says he's overreacted. I think he probably had to do something. You know, Raheem Sterling's come a, a, a long way in the na sort of general nation's consciousness, but that doesn't mean he didn't make a mistake. He clearly right. made a mistake. Also, he's got those tattoos of knives. The gun, actually, Guns. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and it's, it's very hard to separate yeah. that Sterling has been mistreated by sections of the media and sections of the public for a long time. We're, that doesn't mean he can't make mistakes. He yep. clearly shouldn't no, have no, done clearly, this. Clearly shouldn't have done. Um, I wonder if nobody, South... nobody enjoyed reading about this. <laughs> on but I do wonder if Southgate had his time again, what would happen. The interesting thing is that this was meant to be a massive celebration of the kind of England's thousandth game, which mm. is ultimately meaningless, but meaning is drawn out of it. And by all accounts, Sterling won't be you know, involved, might not even be on the bench, might be sat in the stands or whatever. So it just kind of overshadowed that. Does it, though? I mean, the fact that he's not playing in a game which we're going to win quite easily. I mean, it... He is our best player, though, at the moment. Yeah, and that did come into play because the first question that Natalie asked him is, he uh, Gareth Southgate had dropped out in one of his previous answers, you know, I do the best by England. Right. And, it, you know, doing the best by England is at the centre of these decisions. Right. And her, her question, which I thought was really good, was... Well, is the best by England dropping their best player? Right. Um, ben, can we put Natalie Perks to <laughs> <laughs> the heart of this stuff? Well, yes, if if by doing so you send a, a message to other 
Sh- hotheads in the squad. Shame. You can't grab or attempt to grab much taller teammates by the throat, spilling crockery all over the dining room. Shame. Gareth Southgate didn't do his best by England in uh, the <laughs> summer of 1996, isn't it? But, yeah. you know. The interest, one, another interesting thing is Rio Ferdinand, I saw Rio Ferdinand did like a Facebook comment where he sort of said, oh, this stuff happens all the time. I remember seeing broken noses, bruised ribs, players' heads being kicked as hard as a football. And I, thought, I like, saw that. Yeah, I thought, That's thought, not a defence, Rio. That's not a defence at all. Also, he's recently been saying that his time with England was blighted by these massive cliques <laughs> yeah. within the squad. And it's really good that that now that isn't the case with right. England. But now suddenly it's like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry <laughs> about it. I think you want that kind of passion, personally. John B. Livingston says, what would be the biggest training ground bust-ups can you scratch the surface for something that doesn't involve Roy Keane or Joey Barton well there's I mean there's been so many most of which have been trotted out you know for yeah I mean it's one of those things that whenever something like this happens there's a a million top 10 (laughs) bust-ups articles that magically (laughs) appear online I mean you know there was the Andy Carroll punching Stephen Taylor because he'd been texting Andy Carroll's ex-girlfriend There are so many over women as mm. well, aren't there? Mm. Um, the most recent one I remember, Neymar and Cavani mm. at PSG had a did bust up actually, in training, didn't well, they? Well, the, the reason the media found out is because in true modern football fashion, Neymar unfollowed Cavani on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Brilliant. Hearts and Berkovic is the... That was kind Gold of the, standard. Ooh, well, well, it was certainly a high bar. Yeah, I mean, talking that was about a, kicking heads like football. <laughs> yeah. Hideously violent. And B, I would say it's probably probably the first viral video ever because that video got shown on, on Sky Sports News and suddenly everyone was like, wow, have you seen how John Hartson kicked up <laughs> over his head? Um, but, they, you know, nowadays everyone would be watching that on a loop. But then Mitrovic was... and Kamara, do you remember at the hot yoga session when it got a little bit too hot? When they were at <laughs> Fulham, that it all kicked off in yeah. yoga as it so often does. Of course, to put all of this in perspective, half the Lazio Scudetto winning side of the 70s went round with guns just in case the other half tried anything. So... Different times. Different times. Sometimes you need that tension. Um, Just to back up what Daniel was saying there, I mean, it's interesting that the whole story about this game has been this fight, Mm. and then if it wasn't this fight, it would have been the thousandth game. There's no actual tension in the match. Um, On our pleasant trip to to Dublin last week, I remember... talked to some Irish guys and said I actually felt a bit envious of you know they've got this massive game with Denmark coming up I was like I can't remember the last time England had a qualifier with, with something really riding on it you know the, the you go back Steve to Steve McLaren's time well, that, well that's the last one pretty much yeah and those those games often Steve McLaren England aside tend to be produce the best from England you know you think of the Germany 5-1 you think of Beckham's free kick that actually they sometimes produce the moments that we remember mm. we've got very few of them now and we'll get even less as tournaments increase in size right although the Nations League did bring some added spice I to don't know if I remember it in two decades time okay to be fair Sorry. in two decades time could all be dust well anyway England will qualify with the draw and may well have done so by the time you hear this listener Kosovo meanwhile battling with the Czech Republic and if they lose that game they definitely won't go directly through but they've got a playoff uh, what else does everybody else need how close are Wales and Ireland to missing out uh, those questions and more are going to be coming up after this. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. Football pundits who actually understand management, special. Winning the little jackpot on Paddy Power Games, not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18 plus 
on Spotify, Smart Speaker and podcast platforms everywhere. This is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. It's not just England that's facing a super important crunch game for the Euro 2020 place. You've got uh, decisive matches all over for not just qualifying, but also the playoff picture. Uh, Belgium, Italy, Poland, Russia, Spain and Ukraine are already through in the kind of continent-wide tournament next summer. I mentioned the fact that Kosovo will be battling the Czech Republic, other nations that are looking to seal their spot. Portugal, who will get through unless Serbia outperform them by two points over the remaining two games. And Cristiano Ronaldo has turned up for that and apparently will play, even though Juve's big kind of get-out clause for the fact that he walked off and left the stadium last weekend against Milan was the fact that he had a bad knee. So, you know. Really, it was amazing that he was playing at all. Uh, so that's interesting. Uh, similar situation with, of course, Gareth Bale, who's not been in the squad for Real Madrid. I was going to say, in this club versus country mm. row, he's like the one player you hold up at puts country first. Yeah. The only club he cares about mm. is his 9-iron mm. or whatever golf thing. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Wales are in Azerbaijan on Saturday and then home to Hungary on Tuesday. Uh, they could qualify with four points, but realistically, they need six Good news is that Aaron Ramsey's back for those games. Mm. He'll be key, I think. Mm. Yeah, I saw them Wales against Croatia in a game that both sides pretty much accepted a draw from 10, 15 minutes in. But um, Wales, even if they qualify, there's still a sense among the supporters that they're doing this in spite of Ryan Giggs rather than because of him. It's, the football is so lethargic. Ramsey will help. Bale played but just got starved of service. But he basically just launched the ball up to Kiefer Moore as like a big man striker looks a bit 90s which is probably fitting for the manager well, I suppose yeah Tom Williams will be joining us on Monday to react to Saturday's trip to Azerbaijan and preview the Hungary match Scotland they cannot qualify from the group they have a playoff in March Northern Ireland's group Netherlands and Germany are three points ahead of Michael O'Neill's team who the Netherlands will be visiting on Saturday. Now, if Northern Ireland can beat the Dutch, they might qualify, but they'll have to win in Germany on Tuesday too. You're shaking your head, Daniel. They, yeah. they can take some heart from their last meeting with the Dutch, no? When they, they were, what, 1-1? One, one like that was it, yeah. Minutes? They yeah. were 1-1 one, one and then let in two goals very the lead, quickly. They took Yeah. Um, it, they've played really, really well in, an, in a format that's extended, which should give them a chance to qualify. And they've, they've landed a, obviously landed a dreadful group with... With the Dutch and the Germans, I don't give them much chance. Right. I know a few Northern Ireland fans who right. are under the impression that if they were to qualify, that Michael O'Neill will continue yes, to yeah. manage. Yeah. I think job sharing, yeah. isn't yeah. 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 Which is, you know, interesting, but it's not unprecedented. Mm, but I, I, I thought at the beginning with Stoke that the agreement was during this qualification stage, but then not if they, they actually qualified. Right. Um, but apparently it will continue. I guess we'll see. Meantime in Group D, massive game for Ireland, as you mentioned, Duncan, who take on Denmark on Saturday in Dublin. After their 2-0 defeat to Switzerland last time, Ireland are still top of the group on goal difference, but they've got Denmark level with them on points, and Switzerland are only a point behind. Worryingly, both Denmark and Switzerland have a game in hand, and even more worryingly, that game in hand is against Gibraltar. So basically, the Irish need to win to stand any chance of going through. The Danes only need a draw. Armed with that knowledge, listener, enjoy now producer Ben previewing the match with Niels Harrell from Danish Eurosport. Niels, it's Denmark versus Ireland again in what's essentially a playoff, and that worked out pretty well for the Irish last time, as I recall. 
<laughs> Are you thinking about the one five game uh, during the last campaign? I mean, yeah, it's been it's been quite a funny uh, coincidence. We have been playing against Ireland every time we played qualifiers for the many last campaigns. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. This hasn't been the most convincing of qualifying campaigns for Denmark. So what's the mood like in the camp going into this fixture? Most of all, we're getting the feeling that this is a team that needs success. You know, it's been a difficult campaign. They've been playing not too well against the Swiss. Uh, the Swiss, they were very lucky to win. You know, the Swiss, the Swiss has a lot of chances and uh, and they needed a blinder from Christian Eriksen, a, a brilliant pass just towards the end of the game to win it. And it's been like that all the time. It's, it's, it's not been convincing from the Danes. I mean, last time it, went, it was 5-1. That, that can be a problem for the Danes now because... Expectations are great, you know. Everybody expects that it's going to be a five-one win again, or three-nil, or two-nil. But it's it's difficult playing the Irish, and you have to remember that was a special game. It was a game that went crazy for the Danish team, and it's a Danish team in a lot of trouble with a new coach coming in next summer, a change of manager. It's also it's also it's always very difficult, isn't it? Speaking of Ericsson, he was very much your star man in that 5-1, but he's had a pretty poor start to this season with Spurs. Are you concerned that he's looking a bit knackered? Yeah, and, and the contract situation in Tottenham hasn't been good for him in any way. But you know, he, he was the one, he was the player who settled it against Switzerland with that brilliant pass. So we believe that he can do it. You know, he can shine on the occasion, and it's such an important game for the Danes because we have to go to to European Championships at, at, uh, in Copenhagen. You know, playing uh, two or three games there. So that's that's very important for Denmark. So I believe that a lot of weight is on Christian Eriksen, and a lot of weight, a lot of weight is on Kasper Spital also. Finally, Nils, Ireland have scored a measly six goals in qualifying. Does anything scare you about them? The funny thing is to say the same guy who scored uh, the last time, Shane Duffy, <laughs> it's always him, isn't it, against the Danes. I think he's doing very well. You know, we're very scared of the, or, you know, you know, we're taking care of the, the, the set pieces, you know, the corners and everything. You, you're very good there, the, the Irish team. And uh, I believe that's what, what we're on the lookout after. But it seems like the Irish has been having the problems of their own also. Nils Harrell there. Always good to hear him. Of course, Ireland are warming up for the game with a friendly against New Zealand on Thursday night. That's curious timing, Daniel. Yeah, um, well, maybe they need a conference of trying to play some attacking football and score some goals because they're not really doing that under Mick McCarthy. He came in as the the sort of safe pair of hands before uh, Stephen Kenny takes over and it's been dismal. They're just not proactive enough. They don't just don't push forward enough. If Troy Parrott plays, uh, he's a Spurs youngster, he's Mm. kind of... The new breed of striker, but just, there's just no goals in the team right. at all. Troy Parrott, uh, there's talk of him playing against New yes, Zealand and yeah. whether that would then... A bit of a, like, a kind of preliminary run to see if he's, he's that, kind of made for international football, yeah. That would be a feather in his cap. <laughs> wow. So uh, there's that. <laughs> Any other games you're excited about? Ruben Borger, for example, says that which country that's about to qualify this week could be a big surprise mm. in the coming European Championship. Any big Icelandic or Wales-like surprises... In the making. Well, I've already, so I've done the offside rule this week and I've said that my dark horses are Italy, who have already qualified um, under Mancini. Young squad, Mm. um, not conceding very many goals, scoring quite a few. Although Mina Rizuki did have the concern that there isn't an out-and-out striker for them. But I think they could replicate the sort of tournament that England had in Russia, where they 
I, they have a young team that are fearless. And I think that fearless quality can get a team quite far when there's not that expectation around them to yeah, do Yeah, I mean, Italy really are tournament well. masters when they actually manage to qualify for them. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Chiro Mobile is going to be shocked to hear uh, Mino's uh, assessment there. Although it's, it's not unfair given his international form. Um, but yeah, I- Italy could have a good... I mean, is there anyone more left field than that, uh, do you I, think? The game of the week outside of the elite, should we say, should be Finland against Liechtenstein because... Finland play them at home, they will beat them and they only need to draw against them to qualify for their first ever major tournament. Wow. And that Finland squad is, that's what this expansion's all about, getting teams like that in. Their squad is amazing. It's got players in Belarus, Canada, USA, all across Scandinavia, Norwich. Bristol Rovers. Yeah. Pukki's form is great for yeah. for the team, For them, yeah. 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 Brace last third time choice, Their third choice keeper is a Bristol Rovers player. Oh, they've, nice. they've actually got a player who is currently without a club in the squad because he got released by Minnesota United last week. Wow. So, yeah, it's just a really good news story. Is that story. who you're rooting for, Daniel? Yeah, I, I, I think that's, you know, kind of that 90s Yari Lippmann and romance. be good to see them there. Shall I put in another quiz question that links quite nicely to that? Please do, Duncan. <laughs> um, who was the only member of England's Euro 96 squad to play for a non-British club team at the time? Paul Ince. Oh, for goodness sake. Mm. Your mate. Tomb Raiders Paul Ince. <laughs> Tomb Raiders Paul Ince, yeah, it's true. Uh, okay, uh, well, Finland's clash with Liechtenstein is coming up on Friday. You've also got on Friday Romania-Sweden, which is big, because that's going to see who gets through in Group F alongside Spain. Co- and uh, Ir- speak- Iraq are taking on Iran as well. Just that, That's me done on oh. internationals. Over to you, Lindsay. No, I was just going to say, speaking of quiz questions, you didn't do the reveal, so those people at the start yeah, that, of the podcast... Yeah, at the end, we'll give the answers. Oh, for the one at the very beginning? yeah. Well, there's still time. They're, they need a lot of time. I mean, to you work could out. argue Daniel completely spoiled the whole thing. Yeah, Daniel I mean, I you rate that one. But anyway, we'll go <laughs> back to get it quickly, though, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fastest and finger first. Lindsay, how about after this, we discuss a big England game which took place on Tuesday? The Lionesses. So, Tuesday night. The Lionesses went to the Czech Republic and had a 3-2 win. What was this business that Phil Neville's job was on the line if they didn't win in this friendly? I don't know that it was on the line, but it was going to be part of the narrative of him potentially leaving ultimately, I think. Because ever since the World Cup, um, form has been abysmal. Um, A lot of them friendlies, and I don't think he would lose his job over a friendly. Um, But the result even there, I mean, you look, it's a win, but it, it really wasn't a convincing one. And Czech Republic, they only have one player that plays outside of the Czech Republic. They're mm. all local players. They don't have a professional league that a lot of our players have. And they're 25th ranking in the world. You're expecting England to absolutely pull them apart. And they didn't. They didn't really expose a lot of the weaknesses that they should have done. Um, and, and I think there's a huge question mark over England's defence right now. It's, in terms of leaking goals, it's it's been quite incredible since the World Cup. So there's quite a few things for him to address. It was papering over the cracks just about. Um, he was very frank and honest. Um, he has been in the in the last week, um, having claimed previously, you know, to be the best thing since sliced bread. Um, he has actually taken on the responsibility and said that what he's doing can't be good enough. Um, but a hangover from the World Cup, surely, as he even put it himself, can't last until November. Well, yeah. Um, hmm. he, I, I actually have concerns about midfield. You know, everybody talks about defence, but I do feel that we're missing that player which had the vision that Farrah Williams did and the composure on the ball. Jordan Nobbs coming back from injury, very good player, but perhaps not quite at her best yet. Also, 
Big news from the women's game. And after your Monday's edition of the Offside Rule was the announcement that Sam Kerr is going to be joining Chelsea, which everyone's completely lost their minds over. Just explain why that's so seismic. Oh, because she is hands down one of the best players in the world at the moment. Um, I think she would be in many people's top three for player of the year. Uh, she scores lots of goals, brings with her a lot of influence and a, and also a lot of eyes from around the world because she she really did capture the imagination of a lot of people at the World Cup. Um, and so it is that stellar signing. And many times previously, you'd have seen those sorts of signings going to places like America or, you know, when Marta ended up in Sweden or to Germany or to Lyon. Mm. Exactly. Lyon is the, the place that seems to snap everybody up. But to go to Chelsea is quite a coup. Um, we had Anita Asante in the studio for the show on Monday who plays for Chelsea. And I did try and get it out of her a little bit. Um, and she'd heard the rumour, but she didn't reveal that that was happening. And then um, within 24 hours, it was announced. Wow. How much will Chelsea be paying her? Well, I imagine this is going to be a new record, which would mean that I think the central contract could be something around the 90,000 or going into six figures category. But then with add-ons because Mm of uh, sponsors and other different brands that come on board, um, I think Australian press are reporting that she could be as high as about 300,000 for a year. Would that be a record? Yeah. That absolutely would be in this country. What And so the kind of average would be what? Around 45,000 would be about the average. Mm, significant. So she should be in the team when Chelsea recommence their... Yeah, absolutely. I think she'll slot pretty much straight in. And they and they need her in that side because that, that lift, it's looking like a very tight title race. Right. They and are Chelsea, top at the Yeah, they've been doing really well, but this could give them that extra edge. Exciting. Uh, in other news, Arsene Wenger joins FIFA as their chief of global football development. So Daniel, what does that mean? Well, it's... Uh... <sighs> I'm not going to say it's a, a paper role, but it's, it's a huge remit. It's the name. It's having the name, having him in there as a right. kind of inspiration, I suppose. But history tells us that quite often that organisation drags people down rather than them dragging them up. So we shall hope this is different. OK. FIFA meantime kicking themselves because Neil Warnock became available only a day later. Mm. <laughs> uh, Tom Williams getting sassy on the Arsene Wenger <laughs> appointment. Can't think what qualifies former Arsenal manager Arsene Wenger to work for FIFA, for a once widely respected football institution that has become a global laughing star. <laughs> I, I, did, I thought it was delightful to see Arsene turn up for work looking so enthusiastic. He, he genuinely seemed to be delighted with his new surroundings and the nice man who drove him to the headquarters and, and everything, basically. So I think this is a good thing. I think so, too. I mean, he's a man full of integrity. Mm. We know that he's multilingual. Um, and and I, I don't think that he will compromise on his morals. I know that you've said, Daniel, that, that FIFA can I bring people down. But... All right, good. Neil Warnock, <laughs> though, is out at Cardiff, and that's not good news for anyone, of course. Uh, but particularly any manager who's under threat in an international break because... Well, he said, hasn't he? He said that... Um, Ryan Giggs? My time's not over. I want to... Oh, did he say that? Wanna, he wants to get another job. Wow. So Where do you see him? Uh, every night when I sleep. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I when, uh, him going from Cardiff made me just think back to how wonderful their contribution to the Premier League was last season. You know, right. Having a shot directly from kick-off against Tottenham, um, you know, 52 pass completion rate in one of the games, which was so a good nod. So that was the key stat, wasn't it, that we were, we were tracking through last season with Cardiff? Yeah, they had a kind of medieval pass completion rate. But, they, you know, they it was good because it went up to about... 70% against Manchester City so he was obviously trying to you know show Pep he could do it when he, when right. he wanted yeah. but um, yeah we also remember his press conference uh, when 
he made his feelings on Brexit quite clear. Oh, right. And it was quite neat that he, um, his team had a 52% pass completion. Right, nice. Uh, so anyway, he leads them in 14th place, I believe, in the championship. Mm. Who's taking over? Talk of Neil Harris, who left Millwall not that long ago. The other name mentioned is Nathan Jones, who obviously was sat by Stoke City. Both of those clubs are below Cardiff in the league table, so it's a slightly odd one, but it, it feels a strange job. It feels a job that will probably go to a Welshman or a man with Cardiff links. So, hmm. I mean, at least, at least if Harris gets it, it's a continu- you know, continuation <laughs> of someone called Neil being manager, which is... And the football is similar. Mm. Okay. Uh, also saying goodbye is Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Not a huge surprise this as he bows out from the LA Galaxy or LA Galaxy with a simply low-key farewell message says Zlatan on social I came, I saw, I conquered. Thank you LA Galaxy for making me feel alive again to the Galaxy fans. You wanted Zlatan, I gave you Zlatan. You are welcome. The story continues now go back to watch baseball. That's a magnificent <laughs> Got fans rushing it. to re-inspect the league tables for the de- and the definition of conquered, given that they think they finished eighth. No, but he personally scored bucket loads of mm. spectacular goals. He scored fewer goals than Carlos Velho, who I think we can also say is not a Premier League player anymore. All oh, right. Well, uh, <laughs> there's every suggestion that Zlatan might be a City A player again quite soon. Ah. Uh, Don Garber. MLS commissioner had let slip that uh, Zlatan was Milan bound, one of his former clubs, of course, mm-hmm. which uh, a lot of people poo-pooed. But today's Gazette has a big double-page spread on how exactly they would pay. Puts for to it. bed the Man United rumours. Well, I suppose we'll have to wait and see that Zlatan would be rejoining one of his former clubs, uh, not Man United, but Milan. Lindsay. Mm. And then everyone poo-pooed that, but I noticed that the Gazetta this morning has a big double-page spread on how the Rossoneri would actually finance. Is that what Milan need? More noise around the club without actually doing that well on the pitch? or That just seems a silly signing, doesn't it? Uh, Yes. Uh, I mean, okay, without getting all tactical, because my brain doesn't go that far, uh, I do take your point, but do I think he would actually do quite a lot in that team? Yes. Okay. In a short term, what he would do is stymie their development as a team, probably, because everyone would just end up looking for Zlatan. But he would be, I think, quite... An, uh, an, an, I think he can still be effective on mm. the field for them in that team, yeah. Maybe I'm completely wrong. No, no, no. No, no, I probably am. Anyway, Daniel, you've just come back from a trip to Germany. I have. What, what's the thing you would most like to bring over to English football from there? Um, Fan-owned clubs. Well, yeah, maybe, but... It, kind of a general sense of everyone there enjoying the game rather than getting angry even when their team were losing 2-0 at home and they went on to win the game which is lovely but I I went over to do a piece about the BBC report that a thousand English people go to every Dortmund home game is that right which is remarkable I think but actually when you see and hear how many English people there are there it isn't that remarkable and it's just this idea of people going to enjoy football for spectacle without caring who wins and enjoying it mm. but actually the Dortmund supporters seem to do that as well there doesn't seem to be that visceral anger at everything at referees at everything that there is here you went to the Champions League match yes I did yeah and then yeah then Leverkusen the following night yeah and a pretty spectacular match yes it was yeah I mean that was obviously complete fortune into a brilliant first half Dortmund were even brillianter second <laughs> half uh, brillianter <laughs> yeah like it <laughs> And have set themselves up nicely to to go through in, in Inter's place. Mm. All right. So, but broadly speaking, then in terms of the fan, kind of the, it was a slightly different experience because it's Champions League yes. rather than Bundesliga. Yeah, but you do you do get a sense of that. You know that firstly the atmosphere. You know, the drinking and the 
obviously people know about drinking in the stands people know about the kind of enjoyment the atmosphere it is a world away from the Premier League it really is I was just gonna say so did you sit down with lots of different English fans then out there yeah I spoke to a few well actually I I spoke to there's flights out from Luton Birmingham and Stansted on that day and I was on the Stansted flight and Tom Williams friend of the show and all-round good guy was on the Luton flight and I didn't realize that but I saw him at the game but we both said we were shocked at how many English people were just going over for the game and then flying back the next morning. That's right. remarkable, wow. I think. I mean, for years, people have flown across to yeah, see yeah. top-level English games. Yeah, and, exactly. But yeah. we uh, we see football tourists as a kind of inherit. It comes with a bit of snide at kind of armchair fan, not really caring. But we do exactly the same in our hundreds and thousands abroad. And because it's enjoyable and it's good we're, to get a different yeah. culture. We're expat football fans. <laughs> they're, uh, they're different. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Uh, anyway, there you go. Uh, you weren't still around for De Classico at the weekend. I wasn't. Uh, no, I, I saw Dortmund's glory, not the humiliation. Right. There you go. One other quick bit of news before we get on to more Duncan questions is that Manchester City midfielder Bernardo Silva, it has now been confirmed, must serve a one-match ban over that tweet that he sent about his teammate Benjamin Mendy and his resemblance to a stereotypical character from a 70s... TV advert in Spain. Uh, he got quite a big fine as well, didn't he? Was it about Did 80,000 or Ooh. something like that? Mm. That's how many minutes being late for a Chelsea team meeting? <laughs> 16? Yeah. Frank Lampard, don't play. Very good. All right. Well, after this, Duncan's warming up some questions just for you. And we hear from Nick Miller. Monday, 25th of November, listener. Are you going to be near Liverpool? Would you fancy joining us at the Epstein Theatre? By us, I mean Duncan here, Julian Laurence, and the clock whisperer himself, Raphael Honigstein, for uh, our last live show of 2019. It'll be great fun. What kind of thing can people expect, Duncan? Well, let's hope that it's as good as the two shows were in Ireland. Where... Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah we had some, some <laughs>, laughs, some tears, and, uh, you know, I think just connected. Yeah. Did well to not say the word crack there. I'm proud of you both. <laughs> yeah. Quiz questions. Nick Miller joins us now. Nick, you're just in time for Duncan's uh, quiz. So far, what was the question we had before? First one was, who are the only two players with the squad number 11 to win the Premier League Golden Boot? Um, And who was the only player, uh, England's Euro 96 squad, who didn't play for a British club at the time, which Daniel steamed in with the correct answer, Paul Lint, straight away. We got that wrong. On the night. Oh, because oh, you, you were there. Yeah. You were Team Toto. Who was in the team? Uh, it was me, Pooja Ben, uh, Emma Saunders, and uh, Tom Williams. Okay. That looked like who, a solid Who line. carried who? Uh, Tom was very strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben uh, was there for charisma, I think, <laughs> largely. But yeah, we, we, were, we were kind of relatively happy with, with our... With the 11th place finish. 11th Emma place looked finish. a bit panicked when there was a Women's World Cup round. Because oh, no, she, she cleaned up on that. She, you know, she, 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 but she, she knew the, the pressure you know, the was spotlight on. was... She yeah. did get a, a, the big Watford question wrong, which she was ah. very upset about. Was there, a, was there one of those moments where somebody overrules somebody else and then turns out to be wrong? Yeah. Much like a penalty kick taker insisting that they take it and then... Spapping it up. I th- actually, I don't think there was one of those moments. I, I, I wasn't as assertive about an answer that I should have been, and it turned out to be the correct one. I was you just live with that say, regret. If you think life. there wasn't one of those answers, that's because it was you. Yeah. <laughs> right. right, okay. Well, here come some more questions now, courtesy. Just before we hear what's happening on totallyfootballshow.com, fire a few more questions, and, and Daniel, if you can curb your yeah, evident sorry. enthusiasm sorry, here. Sorry, with yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so who was the last English manager, excluding caretakers, to finish in the top? two of the Premier League 
this question one. Last English manager to finish in the top, top two. two of the Premier League. <laughs> I thought yeah. James was going to shout out the answer. <laughs> <laughs> and who is the only English player to play in the Premier League under the same manager at three different clubs? Say that one again. The only English player to play in the Premier League for right. the, under the same manager but at three different clubs. I, mean, I think that's effectively impossible. We know that one of those managers is going to be Harry Redknapp. Yeah. Same manager? Oh, is it Harry? Well, that could be the manager, but we're looking for the player. Right. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> uh, Nick, while we ponder on all of that, what's going on over at thesolyfootballshow.com? Mm. Well, uh, today there is uh, an interview. There's a new film about Matt Busby coming out. So I interviewed um, John Aston, who's the man in the match in the 1968 European Cup final. So there's an interview with him out on the site. There is a very self-indulgent piece about uh, Nottingham Forest midfielder Thiago Silva. Oh, yeah. Um, self-indulgent would be all, all too appropriate for, for him. Yeah, that right? very much so. Yeah, it's about the, the joy of, sort of pointless flamboyance and mm. who he brings to the team. Um, and what else? So, and what, I enjoyed the thing, your chart earlier about the... Um about the Uncle Jeff coefficient, but extrapolated to the whole league. Yeah, that was. Uh, I'm going to be doing that probably every month. Okay. There's one out on uh, last Friday for those that don't know what the Uncle Jeff coefficient is. It's plotting your team's results against the uh, equivalent games last season. Where are Man City on that? Manchester City are doing badly. Yeah. They are. So there's only obviously there's only 17 teams in this because discounting the three. Uh, teams that came up right uh, Manchester City are in 15th place they're on negative 8 points uh, 8 points worse than in the equivalent fixtures yeah last season right. bottom um, obviously everyone read the piece but um, yeah. it's Spurs isn't it it's Tottenham yeah on yeah. Il- minus 11 who is doing best compared to the same games last year I tell you who's doing the same because everyone doubted us it's you know w- some you weeks ago wolves? it was Wolves yeah everyone knew was it. saying you were going to get Wolves yeah. in somehow we're, we're still in the Premier League <laughs> What? Everyone was saying that we were underperforming in comparison Literally to last nobody season, was but talking it's about Wolves. Only you, Lindsay. One point ahead. Bad, anyway. bad news, Lindsay. It's actually oh. not. The, 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 this is, it's not the equivalent point last season. Oh. It's, it's the the equivalent fixtures. So the, the, you know, oh, sorry. You, I've got the wrong end of no, this. No, no, no. It's fine. As a measure of your progress or, or decline since last season. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure it means a huge amount, but I it's, think it means it's, everything. it's good fun. Uh, Wolves are actually uh, only a little bit above Spurs on uh, negative nine. We haven't right. played lots so, of the big hitters yet, though, have we? No, but well, that's not that's a bad Lindsay, thing. this is what the whole thing is about. It's, it's the essence of it. It's the same teams that you've already played <laughs> that you played last year. Oh, have okay. you done better yeah. against those that, teams? Finding a way that to presupposes that there's no difference between teams year on year. I mean, I don't want to go in on Uncle Jeff, but, <laughs> you know. Don't torpedo the whole concept. So, Apologies. can I ask, uh, who's doing... Who's doing the best compared Leicester. to the same fixtures? It is Leicester City. Good yes. Nice one. More quiz questions. And uh, <laughs> uh, in so, Liverpool are a uh, third on uh, positive four. This was all before this last weekend's fixtures, obviously. Oh right. Second place. Anyone guess who is in second Chelsea? place? Chelsea. No. Oh. I'm going to Man get. United. No. Daniel. It's not Nottingham Forest. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I don't think we're in the Premier League. Uh, who's doing second best? It's, an, it's another team that you. Have. Newcastle. Newcastle United. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Newcastle United. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that will be going out on Friday mm-hmm. this week will be the first of a uh, occasional series about uh, basically the T the spells of very f- great or famous players that you've completely forgotten about. So the clubs that you play, you, you go, he played for them. This was a big Twitter theme. It was uh, a, a, a moderately successful Twitter thread <laughs> right. of mine that I'm ch- turning into. Oh, did you start it? I did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. James, mm. and I'm turning it into some red hot content for the site. So the first for the international break, uh, and it will carry on. It'll yeah, be, it'll be you know a fun Friday read. I think my favourite 
is Samuel Eto'o Everton, which right. not many people remember. He no. bequeathed the number five shirt to John Stone. And the scary thing is that was quite recently, so it's not even back in the midst of time. But the reason I really enjoyed your thread is that I thought I was the only one who completely <laughs> blanked out really significant players at major clubs. But I, I have a theory that in 20 years' time that Frank Lampard's spell at Manchester City will definitely feature well, you as part already, of that. You see already I blanked the one. Um, Martin Keown at Reading is the one, the reply that <laughs> I... Enjoyed the most. I've got Martin Keown at Leicester. Yeah, I think I replied with that one, yeah, which, yeah. again, had no memory of. I ventured righty at Burnley, and then a lot of yeah. people said righty at Celtic, which is fair. What I right. liked with when people re- like you replied to it is that people re- then replied to you saying, no, I remember that. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's not the point. It's that I forgot it, not you. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the first one's going to be uh, Chris Sutton's notorious spell at Aston Villa. I don't think anyone really remembers. So what are you going to basically break down what happened in, in yeah. that period for... Yeah. Those who don't recall. Yeah, some other ones. Um, Dimitrio Albertini at Barcelona. Andy Cole at Burnley. Frank Stapleton play for Ajax. What? Andre Kinchowskis at Southampton. Mm. Okay. Ronnie Onsen at Newcastle. Jan Mulby play for Norwich, apparently. A brief spell there. Wow. Uh, Robert Pires at Aston Villa. Yara Littman at Fulham. Yara Littman at Fulham? <laughs> I, I actually, this I'm not sure what James, it, I like it. He, he signed, Seriously, this is just revelatory. He signed um, in the, the Uncle Roy miracle, miracle season. He, saw, he signed really? for them in the January of that year. And I'm not, I don't know if he actually played. He didn't, he certainly didn't play a, a significant role. Okay. But he definitely signed for Fulham. Lindsay, do you have very good recall for this kind of thing? Not too bad, yeah. I mean, there's a few in there that I remember. And like everybody remembers as well, you know, Sol Campbell at Notts County. He sure. did? That's another one. Um. No, no, I do remember that one. Uh, but I was helped by the fact that Steve somebody was Wall writing at Wolves. <laughs> you, see, I purposely didn't give a Wolves example there, Daniel. So I see what you've done there. I, I think you're just trying to be anarchic there. <laughs> Excellent. So, well, Nick, that, that sounds fascinating. Are you going to do one of those every week? or? Uh, you... Yeah, that's the bold claim I'm, I'm making at the moment, but that's the plan. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, excellent. Um, was there anything else we should be talking about? I don't think so. I think that's pretty much got it covered. Thanks, Nick. Now, listeners, still to come, the answers to Duncan's questions and a special flip reverse and a real doozy as well. First of all, though, with International Games Illumin, producer Ben's dialed up our friends at Paddy Power to get some odds on all of that business. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Here is Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, let's kick off, please, with the big one. It's Republic of Ireland at home to Denmark. Ireland need to win this, but can they? Well, before any of this week's qualifiers were played, the Republic of Ireland were top of their group. How did that happen? The mood has been pretty cautious in Power Tower, which is not the default setting, let me tell you, but it is understandable. This fixture doesn't exactly bring back many happy memories, at least recently anyway. But Ireland are 5-2 to to win this. Denmark, they're even money favourites. The draw is 21-10. to Wales have got a very, very big game against Hungary coming up next week, but first they've got to get past Azerbaijan. What's going to happen here, please? We're back in Wales in Baku. We've always supported the Giggs family after all. And Ryan's team are clear favourites here, 2-5, to five, to get the win they absolutely need against groupie whipping boys Azerbaijan. The hosts are 6-1 to one to get their first win in the campaign, or 3-1 to one to double their points tally of a draw. And finally at Windsor Park, it's Northern Ireland versus the Netherlands. Give us some markets here, please. Yeah, the Michael O'Neill farewell tour starts here, and it'd be quite a fitting send-off to record another famous victory. Northern Ireland are a pretty remarkable 7-1 to to win this game. And yes, I know that Holland are one of the best teams in Europe and they should win it. But at Windsor Park, with winter upon us and that support behind them, who knows? 
Well, our trailers seem to. Holland are odds on 4-11 to 11 to win this. The draws 10 to 3. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Blazing squad. They love blazing and they also love flip reversing it. And Duncan, I know you feel the same way. So much so that you're taking a look back today at the events of summer 2015, which proved absolutely key for one of the Premier League's greatest ever stories. But what if, says Duncan Alexander, Leicester had never been on their Far East sex trip? Yeah, it wasn't. It didn't work out well for them. Um, it was the culmination of a series of Nigel Pearson incidents telling one of his own fans to go and die at right. one point during the previous season, wrestling James MacArthur on the pitch, which right. it did inspire their... The ostrich press conference. Yes, to, to the journalist Ian Baker. Um, but, uh, yes. So they only just avoided relegation that... That uh, they, they showed remarkable form at the end of the season to avoid relegation, and then buoyed by this run of results, they go on this. They went on what was called a goodwill trip to Thailand, right? Um, but it turned out there wasn't much goodwill, it was mainly just sex tapes um, involving the Nigel Pearson's son James. And he and two other youth players were, were sacked by the club, and then a few, a few weeks after that, Pearson himself departed, right? Um, now and the club hired Claudio Ranieri, and yeah, to much dismay mm. turned out okay now i think actually if pearson stayed not much would, would be different you know leicester won seven of their last nine games the previous season um i don't think ranieri really changed that much you could argue he made a slight tweak in sort of january february when leicester became a lot more defensive and kind of ground out a series of one no wins but who's to say nigel pearson couldn't you know if he wasn't wrestling players to the ground he couldn't have done that as well i think I think Leicester would have won the title under Nigel Pearson. Brilliant. <laughs> so Nigel Pearson, what would he be doing now? What is he doing now? Well, I think he'd, he'd, have, got, he'd have probably got a little bit further in the Champions League than, than Ranieri did. Um, and I think he would have been in a good position to take over the England job, um, maybe pre or post the Allardyce situation. Well, in terms of personnel, who would have been key? I guess that would have been Conte. Yeah, I mean, that was the key signing that summer. He was officially Ranieri's it wasn't, first. It wasn't Better Luan, was it? <laughs> no. I mean, Okazaki came in, did did okay but um yeah i mean he he was ranieri's first official signing but obviously steve walsh was the, the transfer guru um there was a little bit of difference of opinion between pearson and, and walsh at times so maybe kante might have have not gone to leicester and i think that that would have curtailed their their title challenge and james pearson moving on as well created the space potentially well that's interesting where would kante have gone he was linked with marseille as well okay so he might have gone to Marseille and then I guess moved on to the Liga at some point and we'd have never enjoyed his his skills in the Premier League and his ability to watch match of the day. I think he just still ended up at Chelsea. I think so. From Marseille, yes. yeah. An interesting thing about Pearson is that Leicester almost kind of repaid the favour for his role, preliminary role in the title bit, by making him manager of or O.H. Leuven, the Belgian club, which Leicester's chairman owns hmm. so Leicester have this affiliation with this Belgian club and they made Pearson the manager for a couple of years until he got sacked which almost felt, felt like a well you kind of laid the foundation so we'll give you this extra job because he, he was basically struggling for work because he missed out on the Middlesbrough job so they gave him a job brilliant well that's nice well th that's a fascinating fascinating window into <laughs> how poor Duncan our lives psychic. would have been had it not been for that fortunate racist sex tape escapade Mm. Orgy, yeah. Mm. Thank goodness that took place. Then. An orgy where everyone benefited. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Brilliant, Duncan. Thanks for that. Before you go, though, I think you've got some answers for us. Yes. So the first question was, who are the two players with the number 11 shirt to yep. win the golden boot? Daniel, oh, I know. I, I slapping his arm. This is the one I s- together. This is the no. one we've both seen. Yeah, we've both seen media. it. So we could showboat by saying one answer at the same time go together. On, Lindsay. No. Lindsay, you go first. Was Van Persie one? No. No. I don't think so. Have I seen oh, the wrong thing? Yeah. Is it, was that the other one? Salah is one. Correct. And a Didier Drogba is the other. Oh. Correct. Oh, okay. I didn't know that, I should say. Okay. I might have got some of it. Okay, the Paul Ince question is now known as the Paul Ince question because Daniel answered it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, the last English manager, excluding caretakers, to finish in the top two of the Premier League was... Got to be Keegan, I think. I would love it if yeah. Daniel got it right, and he has. Yeah. Oh, Brilliant. well That's done. That's tw- 97, isn't that? Yeah, not That's even so winning the Premier League, just coming in the just top two. Just coming second. <laughs> yeah. Not ideal. Mm. Um, and then the other question was, who is the only English player to play in the Premier League under the same manager at three different clubs? So Jermaine Defoe? No. I right is it, line. Is it Harry is Redknapp? It, is it someone like Is Cole? it Harry Redknapp? No. Ooh. No. It's not Peter Crouch? Correct. It is oh, Peter Crouch. Oh, Jimbo. Okay. Straight All in. Right. Well, no, kind Trivia of got King. it wrong and then <laughs> backed up and had another pop at it. Well, That's the beauty of it. All right. Okay. Go. Uh, well, there you go. A little a taster there of the kind of brainy business that OptiQuiz people do. It is all online now. People want to have a go. Oh, that's amazing. Where so do they find that, Duncan? If they go to the Opta website, they can find it. So well, yeah. They mm. can spend all weekend quizzing themselves or friends. That is quite literally my chain journey back to Loughborough as well. Fantastic. I love doing stuff like that. And there's also a 442 one at the moment where is you there? can fill in all of the England players, yeah. internationals that have scored since 2007 or something. Oh, I must make sure Sporkle. I have a go at that. Yeah, Sporkle yeah. quizzes. Mm. Brilliant. Uh, well, that's what you're going to be doing all weekend then, eh? Uh, make sure you keep an eye on what Wales get up to because you're back on Monday, Daniel. I am indeed. Alongside quiz winning Michael Cox. I will. Can we have a pact to not mention it, do you think? No, you know. We'll mention it. <laughs> Tom Williams will be in as we mentioned. Lindsay, what are you up to this weekend? I'm going to the North London Derby in the WSL. So Spurs are hosting Arsenal right. at the Spurs Stadium. Um, and there's it's called the Women's Football Weekend. So there's lots happening all over the country. Um, Anfield's hosting one as well against Everton, uh, Liverpool against Everton, although Liverpool have been in atrocious form. Right. Um, there's one at the Medeski Stadium, Reading as well. So it's going to be a huge weekend for women's football. Brilliant. And a huge offside rule WSL edition on Monday, I imagine. And an offside rule social on Saturday. We're going to Junkyard Golf. Have you uh-huh. been? I've in not been to Junkyard Golf. Mini Golf, but Junkyard. bigger than kind Mini. Post-industrial <laughs> golf, then. You do it with kind of like big metal <laughs> things. Is it like the industrial zone on the Crystal Maze? <laughs> yes. But with golf. Yeah. I mean, the, you can choose a course, and I've chosen the one which has the most fluorescent colours. Brilliant. Yeah. And as for you, Duncan? Well, there's a very rare thing happening on Sunday, which is the heroic Wickham Wanderers are live on Sky TV. Are you? Yeah, in our endless series of games against Tranmere Rovers. Brilliant. Played them last week and we're playing them in mid- midweek as well. So, Crikey. Um, it's like baseball or something. Yeah, it is. Um, but so yeah, we're, we're gunning for promotion so let's see how we do on, on the telly. Best of luck with that. Listen, whatever you get up to over this international break, I do hope you enjoy it. We will return on Monday with Michael, Tom and Daniel. For now, from all of us here, It's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. 
For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddynewsmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter. And make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.